You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. I'm thankful to see so many friendly faces this morning, and I'm thankful to have the opportunity to bring you the word this morning. I do have to say, though, there is a, uh, how do I say this? There's like an inside joke between myself and the other preachers in the rotation that somehow, and I should put air quotations around somehow, somehow the strange and the funny or the awkward timed messages seem to trickle their way to me. Somehow, the youngest guy in the group always gets those, right? When I was an intern here, my first ever sermon at this church, Jeff gave me circumcision. Um, I think my very next sermon was right around Valentine's Day, and we were going through a series, and it just so happens that I got to preach the Valentine's Day uh, weekend, and I had David and Bathsheba. And I started picking up a trend, and Jeff was like, yeah, there's sometimes when I'm headed out and you got a message, and I'm like, good luck with that one as I'm going down the highway. <laughs> and so as I looked at this one, I was like, there's no way that a beatitude can be that, right? Especially because we're going to be doing Matthew 5, 9, and it talks about being a peacemaker. And I was like, man, you know, happy are peacemaker. Like, those are two very fluffy, fun words, like happy and peace. And I was like getting deeper into it and realized that the peace it's talking about isn't so much a humanity peace, but about like peace in relationships and friendships and showing forgiveness in situations. And I was like, sick. So I have the one that's about apologizing and giving forgiveness to people that you don't want to right before we have cookouts with our family and friends that we love, our family and friends that we sometimes love, and our family and friends that we're trying really hard to love, I get to do the message that tells us that that's not what we're called to be. So, not the worst one I've been given in regards of context and content, but I am excited nonetheless. I'm sure with 4th of July, a couple days away, man, we got our grills cleaned up, ready to roll, and those who have high favor with the Lord, we got our smokers ready. I'm not there yet, but it's coming, I'm sure of it, you know. We will be in Matthew 5, 9, continuing in the Beatitudes series, so I ask if you are able to please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. This is one of the later of the Beatitudes, and it reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let us pray. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to get into your Word, and I pray that as we look at it, we hear your voice. Uh, you speak directly to us, each as individuals, and then together as a congregation. God, have your way this morning through your text, and I pray that it takes residence within us and changes us and inspires us to take action and do. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to guide us in those actions and guide us in our worship this morning. And we thank you for your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. We said that this translates, when we look at the Beatitudes, as happy are the followers of God who. So happy are the followers of God 
who are peacemakers or who create peace. And that was the interesting, most interesting part that jumped out at me when I've been looking at the scripture over and over again over the course of the last few months. My first thought when I see peacemakers is uh, that's a superhero because that's where my mind goes. But my next thought was it's the fir- one of the first beatitudes where we're almost given a role or a title. But previously, they've been kind of traits or qualities, whereas this is almost like a role or a title. Be a peacemaker. It's one of the few that do that. And we also see that the Beatitudes, they're not necessarily chronological, but they definitely have a specific order of intention. We started with the poor in spirit, admitting your need for mercy and understanding your situation. And now we're getting to peacemakers, understanding your need to give mercy. So it's like the Lord is building us up to be more and more like him as we go through these Beatitudes. But as we look at the word peacemaker, something that clearly jumps out is the word make. Because it dignifies that peace does not just happen. You can't stumble into peace. You can't hope your way into peace. Peace is created. It is made when you have a choice of actions that you carry out when confronted with conflict or chaos. Okay, so what do we do? Well, when we see conflict or chaos, we make peace. And there's your sermon. That's it, right? The attitude says, happier those who make peace. How? We are called, and this is funny, I, ha- I have to say, a lot of times I will be talking with my wife and I find it humorous when preachers will do the uh, rhyming or alliteration to make a point where they have three points that all start with the same letter. And I find it humorous sometimes because sometimes we really stretch, right? And I think I gave an example. Uh, you're saved because, you know, you're anointed um, and you're accepted. And i got to have a third one, so um, you're agricultured. What? And then they make, you know, we make sense out of it. Oh, he, he accepted you, and then he anointed you, and he's helping you to grow agriculturally. Right? We do that a lot. And so I, sometimes I try to avoid it if it's, uh, if it's forced, but I was just talking about that with my wife yesterday, and as I was putting final touches on my notes last night, this came to me. So here's my, I'm graduating the course. I have a three-point sermon where they all start with the same letter. We are called to create peace through pursuit, purpose, and praise. We are called to create peace through pursuit, purpose, and praise. And in this, we're going to specifically talk about in relationships. In relationships. Now, when I say that, we instantly think of like spouses and partners. Any form of relationship, your relationship to a stranger, your relationship to an online persona, your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with coworkers, with... Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, congressionally, we're going to talk about how to make peace in relationships to glorify God. And we do that through pursuit, purpose, and praise. There's two sides to this making peace in relationships. There's the side when we are called to give mercy and forgiveness, and the side where we are called to seek mercy and forgiveness. We usually like talking about when it's our turn to give it, because then we get to take the high road and be the bigger person or whatever else you want to call it. We get to be the ones in the power position, but we don't really like talking about the humility 
of being the one that has to seek that forgiveness, admit to a wrongdoing. But we're going to talk about it this morning. We see, we see our calling on that in Matthew 18, 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. We're really good at that. But just between the two of you, in private. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. That reveals to us that when we see a siphon in a relationship, whether it's our, our relationship with them directly or their relationship with the Father, because of our implanted hatred for sin, when we see someone else in sin, it's damaging their relationship with the Father, but simultaneously damages our relationship and fellowship with them as well. So here we have a stagnated relationship that is stressed, has thorns in it, and we are called to, rather than avoid it, neglect it, shun it, delete it, we are called to go to it, to run to it. Find the source of the chaos, find the source of the problem, find whatever it is that is stopping the growth of that brother and sister, one towards the Father and two in fellowship with you, and address it. Address it personally, affectionately, in a way that is not meant to embarrass or you know, call out. Very intentional in how you do it, as well as understanding that your desire to do it is solely to repair or reconcile that relationship for the growth of God. You see, it says that almost like our prize of that scripture is that you've won them over. Now, does that mean you've won them over in the sense of now they like you? No, it's referring to if they sin, go do this. So winning them over means you've, you've brought that sin into light for them to, into their light. I don't, I'm not throwing it out to the congregation, right? There's a whole process we could preach on, but you've brought that sin into light and recognition, and if they listen to you, the blemish is removed, and the, the relationship is stronger, both between you and them and them and the Father. So we are called to pursue conflict and chaos in our relationships. The flip side, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. There's that word again, go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. You guys see the value that God places on no grudges or blemishes in the relationships you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The example is someone who is at the altar giving a sacrifice directly to him in worship. And God says there's something we need to do of higher priority first. We need to fix that heart. We need to fix that mind. Go be reconciled for what you did. Go seek mercy. Go seek forgiveness for whatever it is. Don't hide it. Don't run from it. Don't feel in shame of it. Go make it known that you're aware of it and remove it. Build that relationship. Pursue. Pursue. And so many times we want to turn away or hide it. We try to find solutions exteriorly or we just act like it never happened. Pursue the source of conflict. The purpose is so that God may be glorified, that they may be won over that you may be reconciled, that relationships may be repaired, but more importantly, that he may be glorified for the carrying out of his work and the growth closer to him because of it. And last is the praise. We praise God because he is 
and was the ultimate example of mercy and forgiveness. And it's through him we are able to reflect that trait onto others. He was the one who created the solution for the chaos that we created in his perfection. So pretty easy, right? Okay, we don't need a whole long sermon on this. Forgive those who do us wrong and ask for forgiveness when we do somebody else wrong. Simple enough. Easy concept to grasp, difficult to do, right? Let's be real. Let's look at a couple of examples that I thought of realistically. When we're on social media and we see posts from somebody that we don't agree with or we're just tired of seeing all their uh, selling stuff or whatever or they have a disagreement of opinions or you just gotten to where you don't really care for that person, we block them, we unfriend them. If it's a relative, we just mute them because, you know, you can't unfriend, but we just mute them. If someone annoys us, we avoid them. You're at the office Christmas party and Janet walks in. It's like, oh, I didn't think she was going to be here. This is going to be a night. You kind of do the whole room rotation. When Janet goes to the punch bowl, you're at the DJ booth. And then when she goes, you go. We avoid them. We do everything we can. We almost find out, hey, um, is so-and-so going to be at Bible study night? Yeah, she said she was coming. I, I was just calling Lexi. I ain't going to be able to make it. We avoid people that annoy us. People who do us wrong, we go as far as to wish ill upon them. Some people say, that's extreme. I don't think I've ever, like, hoped something bad's happened to someone. I think we all have. I know looking at social media and the news when Saddam Hussein was first captured, everybody's saying, you know what they ought to do with him? Not to capture you, you know what they ought, they ought to do this, that, and the other, and listed some of the most grotesque things ever. Something ha- somebody does you wrong, and you say, I hope they blah, blah, blah. And then we call it karma. That's a whole other deal. We might think light of it because we say it in passing and don't really mean it, but we wish ill upon people who do us wrong. Y'all can leave me alone up here if you want to. It's true. And when we see people sin, here we go. We hold them accountable in ways to puff ourselves up, to make ourselves feel better, or to lower them so even though we're not doing better, we still look higher. The gap's bigger. We judge them. Can't believe they. Man, don't they know? Lord, I've been praying and praying. Ain't enough prayer in the world. Right? And sometimes we shun them completely. And that's one that speaks to me a lot. See, my parents are both in their second marriage together, but my mom was previously married before finding my dad, and my dad was previously married before finding my mom. And up until I was four, most of you guys know I didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college, but up until I was four, I was being raised in the church. Went to all the functions, uh, didn't miss a Sunday school, now, so small, all I remember is Dunkin' Donuts and coloring books, but we were in it. My parents did not miss a thing. But there was one event that they were asked to not attend because their family dynamic didn't really display what they were trying to communicate to the public. And they were asked to not attend. It wasn't until about two years ago that one of my parents started going back to church. 30 years worth of damage because someone saw 
what they believed to be a sinful situation, and their response to it was to shun it, to hide it. Forsaking the people and just completely missing the mark on what the gospel's about. 30 years of damage because we refuse to pursue righteousness in chaos so that we can make peace. So let's take a, dif- a, a deeper look into these three Ps. I got kind of serious. I got to lighten it up a little bit. Pursuit. The world was created perfect. God made a perfect world. He made a perfect man. He made a perfect woman for the perfect man and gave them everything that they needed. We created the first ever broken relationship of all humankind. We created the first bit of chaos in existence. We created the first drama, the first gossip, the first shame. We created all those things despite the gift of perfection that God had given us. Now God could choose to block us. God could choose to avoid us. God could choose to wish ill on us. God could choose to judge us in that moment in a negative context and shun us. But rather, he decided to be just, remove us from the perfection, but infinitely and relentlessly, to this day, pursue us, running after us with all intention to win his children to be reunited, to reconcile the relationship. The greatest example of how we are to create peace is God took the biggest and the, the number one source of all the chaos that is in the world and he ran straight to it and is spending eternity until his return pursuing reconciliation with the damaged members of the chaos. Amen? Our calling as peacemakers is to evaluate our relationships and pursue sources of conflict and address them without care of who's at fault and apply mercy and forgiveness to that, whether it be the humbly asking for or the humbly giving. Being a peacemaker means pursuing chaos and conflict in your relationships. He calls us to see the offense and be a reflection of his glory in them. Purpose. God is not concerned with keeping score. Thank you, Father. Because the sin that I committed from the time I got into the car until the time I got here this morning made us lose. All right? The sin I committed when I got out of bed before I got my feet in my slippers. We lost. How many times has he done us wrong, y'all? How many? Not one. Yet time and time again, every single day, we find ways. We know, we know, you know, Paul says, I know what I ought to do, but I still don't, right? We know what we're supposed to do. We know we owe him our life and everything in it, yet we still choose otherwise. Thank you, Father, for not keeping score. 
He does not tally how much blood of Christ it took for your sin. We're not going to get into heaven and say, like, all right, all of you that sinned two million times or less, get to the left, uh, two million to five million to the right, and I'll have my super sinners down the middle. You guys, you get to go in first. We're going to talk to these. He doesn't keep tally. He doesn't, when I get there, he's not going to say, oh, I'm so happy to see you here. Man, how much it took to get you here. Like, he doesn't care. When he gives mercy, it completely removes the blemishes. It's gone. You're a new creature. Everything is made new. Daily, we renew ourselves. Every single time we speak with him with a heart of repentance, pursuing grace and mercy, pursuing forgiveness, it's given. Then we have brothers and sisters come to us who need mercy and forgiveness, and we think about it. Here we are again, another sermon where God did something that we can't live up to. Yep. But we're called to. He doesn't pursue you with the purpose of being able to say he won. He could care less about beating Satan because Satan was beaten upon creation. Satan, with all his sneaky, deceitful plans, is asking God's permission to carry them out. Victory has been over, over Satan since he was even a thought. Yet we still do the, oh, Satan got me today. Or, and they got, they got to deal with Satan in their life. We blame so much on Satan. Take ownership of it. What can you do in that situation? He could care less about being able to say he won the battle between, of, of spiritual warfare. Because we claim victory long ago. And we celebrate victory daily. His sole purpose in his pursuit is to restore and reconcile peace between him and his children and peace between his, between his children together, congressionally. That's his sole purpose. And in that, he is glorified. Not that he may be glorified. In that, he is glorified. It says that when someone comes to him, he rejoices with them. There's a natural series of events. He's not doing these to puff up his reputation. He doesn't care. He made the word reputation and the concept of it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to overturn stones. And, he made the stones. His sole purpose is distributing grace and mercy to an undeserving people. And we find reasons to not do the same. Feelings are out the window. Feelings are completely out the window. I'm sure what happened in the garden hurt God's feelings. I, I'm sure it, it made him feel some type of way. We see t times where things just affect him in that way. Um, rationale is out the window. I'm really good at this one. I'm really good at rationale, right? Why didn't you, why, why'd you take the trash out but not put a new bag in? Or, or why'd you take the trash to the door and not into the garage? Well, I was going to wait until we got the other trash cans, and then I was going to do one trip instead. And then, you know, it just never happens, right? I will rationalize every poor choice I make, every one of them. There's no way I'm wrong. And then by the end of the night, I'm apologizing and realizing that I was wrong, right? Does that ever go away, fellas, or should I just get used to the whooping? Get used to it? All right. 
rationalizing why you're wrong in a situation is out the window. Justifying why you did what you did is out the window. Who was right or wrong? That's the, one of our favorite ones, right? Yeah, but she, my, my kids. Y'all pray for me because they're, they're old enough now to understand how to lie. Why, why are you so upset? So-and-so hit me. Would you hit me? Yeah, because he took my toy. Your toy's in your hand. Right or wrong, trying to, trying to dodge a whooping or whatever. Just, we try to find right, who's right, who's wrong, but they, but they, yeah, but, come, but God, they. Even Adam did it in that moment. Did Eve partake in that fruit? Or did you partake in that fruit? Yeah, that woman that you made and gave me done did that thing, and now here we are. That's the, that's the evidence that this broken, unreconciled relationship has caused a point and fingers, right and wrong, lack of distributing mercy, more of distributing blame. Peace can't come from blame and, ac- and uh, accusation. It can only come from mercy and grace and forgiveness. Debt is out the window. Unpayable debt. God said, I don't care. Remove the debt. Completely. Put it all on his son. Sent his son to die. And then conquered our debt of death through his resurrection. Debt is out the window. Doesn't matter what you think or what someone actually does owe you. Doesn't matter. They are always deserving of grace and forgiveness. That's how peace is applied in that situation. And then the last P we talked about is praise. All right, so we've pursued with the purpose of reconciling this relationship, establishing peace, and growing closer to the Father and closer to our brother and sister in Christ. Now we are to praise. When peace is made and relationships are restored, God rejoices with his children. So should we rejoice in that moment, specifically because, not that now my friend's back or, yay, they like me more, but because God is glorified through us addressing this. God is glorified by us being transparent and true and humble. God is glorified by us revealing our sin to him and helping brothers and sisters who are struggling to do so do that as long as our intention is right. God is glorified in those things. And so we praise him for that. We don't bask in our ability to do it like, yep, ah, so-and-so did this to me, but I forgave him. I'm just such a good Christian. Like, look at me, you know. We don't, I'm the bigger man. I'll be the bigger man and walk over there and tell him his dogs are, you know, whatever. We like to puff ourselves up. God doesn't bask in what he does. God doesn't continually remind us of our downfall after we've been washed by the blood of Christ. He's too busy working on us daily with what we're going to do next. He's a sovereign God and and a just king, but he himself doesn't hold things over our head. And we should praise him with the reverence of who he is and for what he's done. He doesn't remind us of our past flaws. That one we're good good at as well. I know I'm a a tally keeper. Any other tally keepers with their, uh, their friends or their spouse specifically? I know for me, if I do a chore, keeping keep a tally. Like, oh, I did the dishes three times this week. She's surely got to do them tonight. Not realizing everything else that's been done. Or I'll take pictures of, like, when a piece of trash is out because I know 
Next time I leave out a piece of trash, I'm getting caught. Well, yeah, but look. I like to try to justify what I do by keeping that score and then remind of past flaws, even if it's something that's forgiven. Or my kid will say sorry and I forgive them and then they do something the next day very similar. I'm like, well, you said sorry yesterday. Sure, teach your children, but there's a better way to go about that. We praise him because his qualities are so dialed in and focused on the reconciliation and peace between us. When we have demonstrated forgiveness and mercy like the Father, we don't need to be boastful or puffed up or keep tabs in the back of our minds of other shortcomings. When we seek forgiveness for others, we do not need to take that mercy lightly and run with it, nor should we take it for granted and sit still. We're called to pursue with a purpose and praise Him for the outcome, whether positive or negative, knowing that we are doing what we are called to do. And that is to be a peacemaker, because by definition, in the Beatitudes 5.9, if we are being a peacemaker, we are the children of God. It's not the most fun job. I mean, every time I do something wrong with somebody, I got to go to them and make it known that I'm aware and I, I'm working on it and I apologize. Yup. You mean that so-and-so that did that to me? I got I to forgive them and whatever else? Yeah. He's not saying you're not going to be hurt. He's not saying the relationship might not be different. Our relationship from what it was in the garden pre-sin is a lot different now. And it took a lot of work to get it where it is right now. He's not saying things won't be different. He's not saying that you're going to be happy-go-lucky all the time, like, you know what? You might have just punched me in the face, but I forgive you. Let's go get out back. Not what he's saying. He was saying you remove that thorn from your heart by even forgiving the person that put it there. We should praise God because he is the example of grace and mercy and forgiveness, all the ingredients that make peace. But not only that, his willingness to give it to us. See, we hold it over people like, I'm not forgiven so-and-so. They, they did me so wrong, Right? For me, I resented my parents a lot for not bringing me up in church, not knowing the story, right? It took a long time for me to get around to that conversation. Even to the point when I first went home when I was saved, they were scared. Their first words to me when I excitedly told them that I got saved was, just don't become one of them, okay? I didn't know what the them was referring to, and I later learned. The poor examples of peacemakers. Don't become one of them. He gave us the ultimate example. So no matter what somebody does to you, it can no way compare to the level of what we did to God. Yet he pursued us with the most purposeful pursuit pur pur pursuit. And he is glorified through that in our praise. So are we better than God and that we should not have the same action when someone does us wrong? Well, of course he's able to forgive us of something so big. He's God. Well, then how are we struggling to forgive people of such small things? Be peacemakers. Pursue his righteousness through mercy. We're going to look at a parable 
where it's so easy to villainize the person who messes up. But I just want us to remember our reflection on ourselves as we talk about what it means to show grace and mercy. We're going to turn to Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35, looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus is teaching as a question erupts from his disciple Peter. Peter says, uh, Lord, how often shall my bro- uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, a ki- the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One servant was brought up to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded, unable to pay Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported uh, to their master all of what had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a heavy one. That's a heavy one. So here we have a master. And we have this servant who owes 10,000 talents. A talent is equivalent to um, 20 years' wages. So basically, 200,000 years of this man's salary is how he would pay back the debt, a.k.a. just a fancy way of saying, this guy is not paying this back. It's an unpayable debt. And eventually, they get in the conversation where something's got to be done. Wife, kids, sold, you, sold, this debt needs to be paid. And in that moment, that servant pursued peace. He humbly asked for mercy, dropped to his knees, please have patience, begged, didn't remain puffed up, please forgive me. And in that, it was given. What else do we know about a master who has servants with an unpayable debt who, when asked for, Removal of the debt and forgiveness, it's given. Pretty simple question, right? 
sad part is, you know who that makes us in the story. We get to be the servant who received the ultimate gift of a lifetime of debt and life change, losing his whole family, losing everything he owns, being put in jail. When you're in jail and this time, you are tortured until you die because I've got to make room for the next guy. A life-changing moment because he simply asked. He pursued forgiveness. So we're looking pretty good up to that point. But then it says he went out. And the moment he went out, he sought out a servant that owed him 100 denarii, which is next to nothing in comparison. For a servant, it's still a pretty good sum, so it makes sense he couldn't pay it back. But compared to, you know, 200,000 years of your salary, it's next to nothing. He goes up to him and begins instantly, just by the throat, grabs him, Chuck Norris's him to the ground, pay me what you owe me. Complete opposite, right? What an extreme example. We're not that bad. Maybe we haven't physically done something like this, but we do it mentally and spiritually every single day. We withhold forgiveness, we withhold mercy, and we withhold grace as though it was withheld from us. How dare us, right? How dare us? It's a free gift to someone who deserved a complete life-changing and sufferable death. I love the words of the master, and he says, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? That's literally an embodiment of God's feelings towards us when we don't share the same traits, we don't reflect the same qualities of God to other people, right? His purpose in the pursuit was mercy. But then he had a new pursuit, and it was self-gain. It was self-righteousness. Give me more stature. We don't see any evidence of his praise, but we know that he's being about himself in this moment. So his first pursuit, great. Second pursuit, not so much. Purpose, flawed all the way through. Praise, don't see any of it. We don't see a, a thank you to the Father Almighty for the forgiveness. We don't see a thank you even to the Master. Last we hear him say is, please give me mercy. Mercy's given. He went out. Straight to a chokehold, apparently. Wrongly pursuing. His intention being selfish and his praise being focused more on himself was his true downfall of character. Not so much the action he committed, but rather his character. Someone wronged him, right? Somebody wronged him, and he sought to make it right. Now, we can try to justify it, right? You know, I love doing that. I love doing that. You know, maybe he had this big debt and he almost lost his family and so he was shook to the core. So he said to himself, when I leave here, I'm going to make sure that I stop at nothing to never put me and my family in this situation again. Maybe he had the mindset that no matter what, I'm going to work day in and day out. If anybody owes me money, I'm going to collect. 
if I have anything I can sell that we don't need, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to make sure that I've got some more safety net or cushion. We can justify it how we want to, but at the end of the day, he did not do what he was called to do. He did not first seek God in this situation. He did not reciprocate the grace and mercy that he was given and forgiveness he was given and use it to establish peace with other people. He didn't say, wow, thank you, Father God, for having such mercy on me in this situation. Thank you, Master, for forgiving my debt. Go out and see the person that has a small debt to him and immediately be brought to the thought of the Father's forgiveness and give that same forgiveness. He took it upon himself. So there's no way we can justify it. And if we can't justify it for him, we can't justify it for us. Someone does wrong to us, or we do wrong to someone, it's got to be addressed because we're called as children of God to be made into peacemakers. And we see the scripture taught in so many different ways. You know, we we see the word peace and we instantly think of war and military, and we could have easily gone that route with the 4th of July coming, but the most important thing that it comes from God's word is his desire to reconcile relationships. First, the one with you, Second, the one that we have with one another. Two greatest commandments. Love, you know, the two, the two things he talks about the most is that love shared between you and him and then you and your neighbor, you and your brother, you and your sister. He cares so much about relationships that the entire backbone of ministry is about relationships. The backbone of God's ministry is establishing relationships so that he can have a relationship with them. That's the Great Commission. That's where we get it wrong sometimes, you know, where we just go out and hand out tracts and things like that. We're not establishing a relationship, connecting with that person, understanding them on a personal level, these different things. God has called us to establish and nurture relationships. But instead, if one gets hard or one gets distasteful or one gets, just leaves a bad taste in our mouth, one that we just don't really appreciate, we either cut it, block it, keep our eyes off of it. We do so many things to just remove it. It's like we have this problem with our car and we just continue to pour water in the radiator so that we can take care of it another time because it ain't going to be today. Address the issue, even if it's hard. God's desire is for those who don't have a relationship with him to have one and those who do have one for it to be strengthened. So you see how God very strongly cares about relationships. And you see how, as we went through the Beatitudes, the first one was understanding your need for the relationship with him. And now here we are towards the tail end, and he's talking about understanding how to reflect what I did for you in the first Beatitude to your brothers and sisters. He's building us up to be a good representation of who he is here as we are the current body of Christ on this heavenly, non-heavenly home that we're in right now. We are the example of him, and these Beatitudes are not a how-to guide, but rather traits that we should carry ourselves with, one of them most important being grace, mercy, and forgiveness, the ingredients of peace. We're called to do that in almost every actionable scripture in the entire Bible. If you look through every time he calls something into action, in some way it is to impact a relationship. This is how the kingdom grows, and this is how he's glorified. So what does that look like? Stress is unavoidable, but drama is a choice. Where there is stress between you and someone, you can choose to speak to them instead of about them. When someone hurts your feelings, 
or when your feelings get hurt, remember that the truth doesn't care about your feelings. It's the truth. When you enter a situation of reconciliation, whether it is seeking forgiveness or seeking to give forgiveness, use the truth. One, the actual worldly truth, but the truth. Seek it in Scripture. I'm not saying when you get to the parking lot, the three people that you're in here with currently that you've always had a problem with, small conversations happening in the parking lot, everybody fixing the things that they've been having on their hearts for a long time. I'm saying go home, prayerfully seek the truth on, you know, Brother Andrew, I've had issues with him the last three years, and I've just never brought him up. You know, the preacher's right. Before I get in that car, before I go home today, I'm going to go talk to him. Maybe, you know, take some time to pray through that and seek the truth. But remember, it's probably going to be hard, and the truth doesn't care. It's a hard, a hard pill to swallow, but the truth is the truth, and it doesn't change. So stop waiting on it to go away, and let's reconcile those things. When someone deliberately disrespects you, it's not an excuse to retaliate or to disrespect the father, father by disconnecting. That's the opposite of what he's doing right now to us who disrespect him daily and disrespect his authority. Rather, we're called to pursue. When situations are uncomfortable, we don't avoid the situation, but rather run headfirst into it to make peace knowing that he will meet us there and comfort us through it. I've been reluctant to have these conversations with my parents. But through seeking peace and through seeking him, I've been able to have them with my dad. That was a little bit easier. I worked on tackling that one first. But that, nobody wants to do that. There's not a soul that wants to do that. And as much as I tried to avoid it and look away from it, every time I read the truth, I realized my role. Sometimes, given the truth, you're going to feel like it damages the relationship because you're like, man, if I could tell them that, they're going to never talk to me again. Well, remember in the scripture, it says, if they listen to you, you've won them over. It's a mutual thing. It's going to be on two people. God's just saying that to be a child of God, to be looked at as a child of God, to be recognized and named a child of God, you've got to do your part. And in the scripture, he's speaking to another child of God. They should be answering that call as well. That's how we grow. That's how we be a strong unit. That's how we grow the congregation. That's how we grow his flock. We don't let little things weasel their way in. We don't let things sit and fester. Scripture refers to us as a body. And when one part of the body hurts, the others hurt. When one's not working, the others rush to help fix it to make it work. That's scripture in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And yet here we are where we might have a toe with a blister on it and we just let it fester and fester. Or we might have a rash on the back of the arm so instead we pull the sleeve down because we're embarrassed by it. That's how we're treating our brothers and sisters. That's how sometimes we're treating ourselves. Like, oh man, I got this ugly boil on my elbow. I'm just going to wear long sleeve shirts until it falls off. It's not how it works. Address it. Address it in all aspects of your life. Work, at home with your spouses and your children. That's a tough one. 
your friend circles, online. Now, I'm not saying every time you see a post that you disagree with, you go in there and keyboard warrior way through your news feed or your timeline. But just be more deliberate in what you share that others can see and how you can encourage and inspire others with your own, your own presence online. And with God. We sometimes take these scriptures and forget that there's also an internal reflection on them. Being a peacemaker doesn't just mean your relationships with other people. You also are called to be a peacemaker in your relationship with God. Reveal the moment. Now, the easy part with that one is there's only one side to it. You're never going to go to God and give him mercy and grace because he's never done anything to need it from you. So you get to enter that conversation knowing, okay, what do I need grace on today? Don't hide it. Don't put it below uh, a basket. Put it in the spotlight and say, Lord, this is what's stopping me. Because as we see, the value that God places on our relationships even sometimes supersedes what we think to be a true act of worship. Think about if somebody didn't show up to church. Man, they don't never miss a day. What's going on with them? When actually they're out doing something for the kingdom. Maybe they got in a conversation when they were getting their coffee on the way to church, and now they're sitting there ministering to somebody. In our heads, we're like, well, there's a time for that. Bring them on to here. Right? We got to understand that peacemaking is both external and internal. The easiest way to understand it is just God cares about your relationship with him and your relationship with others. And all of them should be flooded with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. So pursue the conflicts in your relationships. The sin in your life, hurting the relationship with God, pursue and address it. And then your sin against each other, yourself, pursue it and address it. Have a purpose. Don't address it so that you can have a better reputation. Don't address it to puff yourself up, but we address it so that he may be glorified, that new people can be saved, that the saved can grow stronger in him. And then lastly, we praise him because without him there is no grace and mercy. Without him there is no peace. He could have easily chosen to dust off his feet and leave us on this sphere rotting in the chaos that we created through deception and disobedience. Praise God that God is a peacemaker. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.